Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. Jerry's over there, too, so this is Stuff You Should Know. Uh, how you doing? I'm <laughs> fine. How are you doing? Good. You know, this one... Um we did a podcast in June 2012. Uh-huh. Should we have a fat tax? Sure. I remember. That was, um, now that I look at the timeline of, uh, and I'm sure we'll cover this now, mm-hmm. about Mayor Bloomberg in New York in 2012, mm-hmm. that was in May 2012 when he wanted to ban the sale of soft drinks over 16 ounces in New York City. Uh, and we released in June 2012, so that had to have been the impetus, right? Uh, maybe it was probably something to do with it. But the the difference with his 2012 push was that um, he was just trying to ban it. There was no tax. It was correct. You can't have this, right? Tubs. Yeah. You know. Yeah, like you're drinking yourself to an early death, right? With these sodas. There, <laughs> there's that very famous commercial that he had, where like uh, this this uh, very large man is drinking like a big gulp. And Michael Bloomberg steps into the frame, smacks it out of the guy's hand, shoves him, turns to the camera, and smiles, and he's missing a front tooth. What? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's pretty believable, though, huh? I was with you until the tooth part. <laughs> and then I was like, what kind of monster would be missing a front tooth <laughs> at that age? <laughs> Uh, yeah, so um, Bloomberg did try to ban that, which, like you said, is different than a, um, than a syntax. But um Yeah, by the way, we're not saying S Y N T A X. It's no. S I N space T A X. That's right. And this article paints uh one of the broadest political brushes I've seen from our articles in a long time with this sentence. <laughs> Syntaxes are often considered a favorite tool of liberals out to impose a nanny state on free thinking individuals. <laughs> Conservatives often oppose syntaxes on the grounds that they amount to greater government intervention in people's lives. Now let's all read some Ayn Rand. <laughs> it's it was just a pretty like uh it wasn't nuanced. No, it's pretty that? pretty unnuanced. <laughs> you remember those big plastic bats that you would get with the wiffle ball when you're like two, so you're learning to practice baseball? Uh huh. It's it's like being hit with one of those. Yeah. There's no mistaking it. It's just weird in one of our articles because I think that's sort of the the old party line that people believe it's just like all liberals just want to do is control your life. Well, I think the author very clearly sees it that way, yeah. and he slipped it in, I guess. Yeah. But he also slipped in, but not all liberals think this way, because John Stewart thought it was ridiculous. Right. <laughs> Take who's that, more liberals. liberal than that? <laughs> it's kind of funny. I don't remember John Stewart doing that. Um, do, do you? Do you remember mm, him coming out against it? I don't remember, but that doesn't <clears> surprise <throat> me. He said it was draconian and would not have the proper outcome, and John Stewart's a pretty smart guy. Well, yeah, if he thinks that, then I do. So he's probably one to, and we'll talk a lot about this, but syntaxes, uh, to me, the proposed outcome isn't necessarily like what um, ends up happening, A, and maybe not even what they're after in the long run. Jerry's still out on that. You know, like you talk to some people and say, oh, no, they're effective. Other people say, no, they're not effective. And some people say, sometimes they're effective. I think the third group is probably right. 
Yeah, sometimes. So we should probably tell people what we're talking about. With a syntax, a syntax is a, a type of tax that is levied against a uh, usually a good of some sort that society in general says, uh, we don't really think you should have too much of that. As a matter of fact, we'd all be happier if you would not use that. Yes. So we're going to have our government or go along with our government Levying uh, a tax, an excise on that, tax. Uh, yes, an excise tax, yeah. which is a sales tax on one specific type of good. Yeah. Um, for example, with a syntax, something like tobacco or liquor sure. or gambling, something that society tends to think of as a vice. Yeah, sinful. Yeah, and so they're saying there's a couple things that are being said with the syntax. It's saying we we want you to stop. So we're going to hit you in your pocketbook. But do you really want them to stop? Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's a good argument. You can argue both ways. Yeah. Um, and then secondly, and I think this one's a little more um, legitimate, um, that is costing the rest of us money in the form of higher insurance rates. Like you're abusing your body. Right. We're having to uh, pay for community hospitals. Like that there's are, a cost to society. Right. Yeah. There's a cost to society. So if you want to do this to yourself, you're going to have to pay more for it so yeah. that we can use that money for things like healthcare systems to fund, yeah. um, to fund this, to offset the social cost that you are creating. Yeah. And a lot of times there is something specifically earmarked for a specific syntax. Mm-hmm. Like we're going to take the money in our state from this new cigarette tax and put it toward this healthcare measure. Right. Um, and I think that they <clears throat> like to do that more because people might get behind it more if they're not just like, eh, it'll just go in the government coffers. And, right. Uh, I don't know how much faith there is at the public at large that the government spends the money wisely. Well, that's, that's, I mean, that's a big part of it. Like, if you are not taking the money from a syntax and directly using it to offset uh, the social cost, of whatever that vice is or whatever, yeah. if there is one, um, then you're scamming the, the general populace and you're using, you're shaming like a segment of your populace for that, for that, to that end, to scam everybody. Yeah, or. Which is not cool, government. Let's, let's say you're not, um, one to drink soda much, but every once in a while you like to get out there and have a big, tall, giant, big gulp. Then you're paying that tax. And some people might say, well, that's not really fair because you're not contributing to any social epidemics. Right. Um, we're going to get into all this. But we should point out that Bloomberg, um, he, he, he lost that war. He, uh, the soda industry, they, you know, they're not just going to say, that sounds like a great idea, Mayor. They fought hard. <laughs> they mounted a, a campaign, an ad campaign. They mounted a legal challenge, mm-hmm. and the Court of Appeals eventually struck it down in June 2014. So later that year, he said, all right, New Yorkers, you don't like to be pushed around. Let's go to Berkeley, California. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, so Bloomberg's a billionaire, right? Sure. And he's a billionaire who is uh, exceedingly liberal. He's a very liberal billionaire. Um, and he, his foundation in 2010 said, we're going after soda. Yeah. We've well, not just we, the Bloomberg Group, but the World Health Organization said uh, soda tax is probably the most effective strategy a government can undertake for improving the diet of the general population. Yeah. Um, 
There's mounting evidence that what are called SSD, SSBs, sugar-sweetened beverages, yeah. are they um, lead to increased weight gain yeah. and other um, comorbid health outcomes like diabetes. Sure. And are basically the they're becoming the central focus of a, a lot of um, negative publicity. A lot of people are saying these things are are around the nexus of a lot of really bad chronic health conditions. It's these sodas, right? Yeah. And so much so that there was this really great Guardian article that was written by uh, Tina Rosenberg, and she puts it, soda is on the verge of becoming the liquid cigarette. Mm-hmm. And in part because of Bloomberg and his uh, his uh, foundation. What would that make the e-cigarette? That's a liquid the cigarette. The e-cigarette <laughs> is the new cigar. <laughs> Uh, yeah, soda is one that it's easy to go after because, um, childhood obesity and kids that you hear about stories about kids, like going through like a liter or a two liter of sugary sweet soda a day Mm -hmm. and these, you know, just ridiculous amounts of sugar intake that any reasonable person would say like, you can't drink that much sugar. Right. Well, and expect to like not have like huge consequences. Sure. The UK has a sugar tax on the books that's proposed to take effect next year. And I was reading a BBC article on it, and they had like this little pull thing, comparison. 35 grams of sugar in a can of Coca-Cola. Yeah. 30 grams is the maximum that the UK suggests its children or people 11 years or older have a day. Sure. And so if you drink one can of Coke, you're automatically having more than you're supposed to have in yeah. one day as far as like a, a normal diet's concerned. And who just drinks one can of Coke, you know? Well, me. So what were <laughs> do you really Well, I don't even drink I mean we've talked about this before. I rarely ever drink soda. That's true. You're drinking water right now. Yeah, and that's just it's not a effort to, to not drink sugar water. It's just sort of the way I was raised. We didn't have a lot of sodas in the house. Right. Drank a lot of water. Still love water. It's good stuff. That's right. It is. And I'm as a sweater, too. It's what I need. Water. Yeah, so I can sweat more. Sure. <laughs> it's just a system. It's called a closed loop. <laughs> you swallow and it goes... <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I feel like about eight minutes ago, I said something about going to Berkeley. Um, so Bloomberg went to Berkeley later in 2014 after he was rebuffed in New York mm-hmm. and said, New Yorkers don't like to be shoved around. Let's go out west. Well, they love being shoved around. Where all these Berkeley hippies will surely be down with this kind of thing. And let's, uh, instead of b- trying to ban it, let's try and get a, a syntax, an excise tax imposed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he was very successful there. There was, um, obviously the, the, uh, soda industry there tried to fight back as well to the tune of about close to two million bucks, uh, in a campaign against it. But voters said, yes, we like this syntax, uh, to the tune of, uh, how much is it? A penny? A an penny ounce. an ounce? Yeah. That so, could be substantial. Sure. 20 ounce Coke used to be what, like a dollar? I don't even know. Now it would be a dollar twenty. That's right. You know? Um, yeah, that could be substantial, especially if you're talking two liter, three liter. It's getting into the area where you would start to see an impact from it. Yeah, that's the way to do it, though, I gotta say. Mm. Instead of just like, you know, a flat tax across the board. They're literally saying, like, the more you drink of this stuff, the more you will pay. Right. It's a negative, it's a disincentive to buy that product. 
Right. Which, again, society or the government or somebody has deemed unhealthy. Right. And in that case, uh, in Berkeley at least, you know, th- what they need to do is look at this stuff long term. But in the short term, um, over five months after the tax, they saw that um, this is the American Journal of Public Health. They found that low income and uh, minority uh, residents of Berkeley drank 21% less soda than before. But in San Francisco nearby, consumption went up by 4%. That's a pretty significant study. Yeah. Five months, though, like... Well, that's the problem. Like, look at it long term, I think, is what the... Because maybe initially people will stop and then they'll go back to it, maybe. Right. But why did San Francisco's go up? Are people like leaving Berkeley to go get their soda fix? Maybe. <laughs> I mean, that's entirely possible. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think you would the money you would spend going back and forth to San Francisco is... Unless you just went and bought, like, a truckload of cases of soda. Yeah, and If that's but- the case, then you got... And, you know, there are other issues in your life. Consider, like, even just the people who live near the border. Close enough. Yeah. To where on the way home they're stopping or during their day they're stopping in San Francisco, just on the border, getting a Coke. That would raise consumption in San Francisco. Uh, Coke and the other companies might say, hey, um, we need to divert all the stock that was going to go to Berkeley over to San Francisco and maybe spend a little more on advertising there. That could raise consumption. Yeah. I guess so. But you make a very valid point, and I'm not disagreeing with you. The jury is very much still out on whether soda taxes actually do work in the long term. Right. And then even more, as we'll see, whether they have the impact and effects that are supposedly desired. Yeah, well, let's take a little breather, and we will go uh, huddle. Puddle? Not puddle. Huddle. Huddle. Okay. Piddle. No, From all, all the water we've been drinking. <laughs> uh People say that about their dogs, like he piddled. Mm-hmm. I think that's just a cute way of saying he beat, right? Mm-hmm. Takes the sting out of it a bit. A little, but also I just think a piddle. I think a piddle is oh, uh, just a little squirt. Yes, but it's usually also accompanied with like a I'm nervous or I'm scared or something, so I'm piddling. Okay, well that's a weird segue. So we'll go uh, piddle <laughs> and talk about uh, so a little history of this when we get back. Both got excited. We both piddled. Piddled a little bit. <laughs> Jerry mopped it up. Piddled a little. Yeah, she was <laughs> so um, scornful, though. Yeah, that's all right. Uh, all right, so history-wise, this is nothing new, and this is a stat that I didn't know. For about 50 years, in the late 1800s to early 1900s, 90%, until 1913, 90% of our revenue in the United States came from taxing Booze and beer, smokes, wine. I feel like we talked about that in the customs episode. <laughs> yeah. Tariffs episode. Did we do a tariff episode? We talked about we tariffs <laughs> in customs. Yeah. Yeah. I'm that's pretty a, sure that that's a large share of your taxes, though, coming from sin tax. Right. And as a matter of fact, the first uh, tax on a domestic product levied by the United States was on was a sin tax. It was a tax on whiskey. Or on distilled liquor. 
the famous whiskey tax that led to the yeah. f- even famouser whiskey rebellion. Yeah, which led even famouser <laughs> to the whiskey hangover, whiskey rebellion hangover. Sure, right. Uh, so in 1913, that all changed when uh, the United States said, you know what we should do? We should, people are making money now. We should tax their income because the more they make, the more successful they are, the more that we can get. Right. Until they get to a point where they can get get, get away from paying taxes. Sure. They're so rich. Yeah. yeah. And, and people went, how does that work? Yeah. And they went, oh, you wait. They said, forget the supply side. We'll go to the demand <laughs> side to tax. And from that moment on, the United States never collected a cent in taxes from another company again. The end. <laughs> so, um, but the point is, sin taxes were, are, are most major source of government revenue up until 1913. Right. Which is a little ironic, I guess, considering our <laughs> history as a country. Yeah, it is. But what's weird is it's, it's a, the syntax actually goes back really far. There's a, a lot of governments in throughout history that have collected syntaxes um, for all sorts of different reasons. Um and then they also used to take the form of something called sumptuary laws. Yes. So sumptuary laws were basically, rather than taxing, it was kind of like what Bloomberg was trying to do by just outlawing, outlawing soda altogether. Yeah. But rather than necessarily being a moral thing, usually sumptuary laws were meant to keep class distinctions intact. Yeah, like, you know, the word sumptuous, expensive looking, it was a way to restrain extravagance. Right. Um, and like you said, uh, and they use Elizabeth the first in this article, which was a good example because she was big on those. And, you know, it's kind of like, I don't want, how am I going to tell the difference between my subjects mm-hmm. if they're dressing all fancy now and thinking they're all that? Yeah. I don't want to accidentally talk to a commoner. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, and I looked into these a little bit. Apparently they were not very readily enforced. Um, if they were, it was usually because of a specific complaint. Right. That someone would bring against like their neighbor or something. They're wearing fancy shoes. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, it wasn't like super policed, but, um. They made a silk purse out of a sow's ear. <laughs> hey, that's just good old fashioned right. ingenuity. Sure. Um, when you open it, it moves. <laughs> Gross. Uh, but apparently the, when these young men would enter London, they would sometimes their swords would be measured. And if their swords were too long, they so- would break them. Because that was a sign of extravagance if you had some big flashy sword. Wow. Yeah. It's not a euphemism, right? You're talking about a sword? I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> <I hope so. laughs> That'd be weird and gross. So even in the, the this country, the sumptuary laws um, almost made a, an appearance. I think in the Puritan um, codes, there may have been some sumptuary laws. But in the United States itself... George Mason, during the Constitutional Convention, yeah. said, hey, let's get some sumptuary laws. They've been done for centuries already. They work. Let's just keep it going. But Mason's aim wasn't to um, keep class distinctions Supposedly, going. Supposedly, yeah. He wanted to basically say, hey, here's how you guys conduct yourselves the way we say. Yeah. Don't and we're the so U.S. Fla- government. <laughs> don't be so flashy because I don't be like flashy. It. Don't be flashy. Um, don't waste your money. Don't drink too much. So, so rather than saying like, we're going to tax your whiskey, you who produce whiskey, we'll just go and say, you, you know, you member of the public, yeah. you can only have like a pint of whiskey a day. 
And anything beyond that, you know, we'll throw you in jail for. That would be a sumptuary law. Right. But the the other guys in the Constitutional Convention said, no, 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 no. I think one of them very famously said, um, the law of necessity is the greatest sumptuary law. Right. Meaning if you tax people, they're not going to be able to afford it anyway. Plus, you... The government get the money. Yeah. So why be a jerk and just outlaw it? Yeah. Just throw a big old tax on it and everybody wins except yeah. for the poor loser <laughs> who's having to cough up this much more stuff to, to kill himself. <laughs> yeah. Forget laws up with taxes. Right. Uh, which had been, you know, like we talked about a long history in, in the 1764, we, uh, were subject to a sugar tax, which kind of had a twofold purpose. One was, Hey, Anything that we can do to make the king richer, great. Sure, ka-ching. Uh, and king. B, you know, we know what you're doing with that sugar. <laughs> and they're like, what? <laughs> you're making rum, and you're getting too drunk, and we don't like that either. So instead of a sumptuary law there, let me just tax your sugar. And, and- Do you remember we talked about swilling the planters with Bumbo? Yeah. Like, that was just election day. Yeah. People used to drink in the United States. Yeah, not like now. No, not like now. I know. I was being facetious, but that is true. <laughs> People like everyone was drunk back then. Yeah. There was no reason not to be. No, it was a hard life for everybody. Yeah, you weren't driving around. No, you were uh well, you were in like weird pants. Yeah. There's a lot to to you had a lot of reason to drink. Yeah, you could just get on your horse and your horse knows where to go. <laughs> right. Just hold on tight. Take old, me home. Old Bess. <laughs> old Bess. Yeah. Skipper? Skipper knows where to go. That was a weird name for horse. So do these syntaxes actually work is the question. Well, yeah, that is the big question. Yeah. Right? So um, oh, we don't know yet. <laughs> I mean, it can work for sure. The we end. actually, with, with, this is, I thought this was a very, um, this article confused me here or there. Okay. Because it, it seemed to be making its own argument rather than reporting the arguments. Yeah. Which I found like hard to follow. Yeah. And then secondly, it, it just kind of wove all over the place, right? Yeah. As far as that argument went. But I think what I'm getting is with the soda tax, that specific kind of syntax, which is the syntax du jour of the 21st century right now. Right. Um, and, and I just said the syntax of the day of the 21st century. Yes. Which is a little weird. Um, the jury is very much still out. Like a few countries have taxed soda, but they also tax like mineral water and diet soda. Yeah. So there's no way to study whether that actually works as far as like health outcomes and things. Yeah. I mean, there's a few different ways to say whether or not it works because there's threefold. It's like, can we improve health outcomes? Okay. Can we raise money? Yes. In that case, it always works. Right. <laughs> uh, Almost always. Well, that's true. And, um, and C or three. I don't know what I started with. <laughs> C3PO. Um, Man, this is falling off the rails. No, it's not. Okay. Uh, and C, does it help the public at large? Um, in, in the case of Mexico, they, uh, a couple of years ago, imposed a soda tax. Because um, Bloomberg spending $10 million. Oh, for, really? That didn't surprise know. me. But that was a good place to do it, because apparently... Um, Mexico is nuts for sugar-sweetened beverages. Yeah, and sort of junky food and sugary beverages. Mm -hmm. I think it has a a reputation for sure as it being a problem. And I think in 2006, there was like a a nationwide health report, basically, like a study of Mexico. And they were finding like it was on its way to becoming like the fattest country in the world. Wow. 
And um, they were like, well, this this is definitely opening our eyes. And that kind of planted the seed for Bloomberg's com- group to come in and a few years later and spend $10 million on, on yeah. a campaign against soda. I've seen, I mean, have you been to Mexico? Mm-hmm. I've seen it, you know, in person. Like it was, I noticed, it was noticeable to me, the amount of people drinking soda. Just right out there in front of people. <laughs> oh, my, they weren't even trying to hide it? <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. Um so in 2014 is when I guess Bloomberg was successful there. They had a peso per liter tax uh, and an 8% tax on junk food. And apparently uh, both of those, consumption of both went down a lot uh, because of that tax. Yeah. Um, but like I said. So wait, there's one. There's one thing that they One found. of the three. Consumption can right. decrease as a result. Right. What they don't know is the long-term health outcome because that's just one thing that can lead to poor health <laughs> in your future is a sugary drink. Well, so that to me smacks of like soda industry, like obfuscation. Well, in a way, but it's true. It is true. But apparently in Mexico, the battle that's being fought by the soda industry is, um, Hey man, don't, don't, don't tax us. That's that you got it all wrong. Tax the cheeseburger people. <laughs> right. Get them. <laughs> Uh, and the cheeseburger people are like, what? Yeah, we were just like- <laughs> standing over here being quiet. Yeah, they said, talk to the pork rind people. Right. Um, no, they were saying, teach kids to like get out and exercise more. Right. It's calorie in, calorie out. Right. So who cares if our drinks have a high calorie? Tell these little kids to get off of their duffs and get out there and start playing the hopscotch or something. The thing is, is, um, diet is more responsible for obesity than exercises. You can exercise to your heart's content, and if you don't change your diet, you're never going to lose any weight. It's diet that that leads to a change in obesity. And again, obesity is kind of the central focus of this whole cluster of comorbid chronic illnesses that include things like um, insulin resistance and type 2 diabetes. Um, And if you can change the diet then you can conceivably cut down on these chronic illnesses. And again, the World Health Organization said soda tax is the best way to change a diet. Right. So that's what's being fought in Mexico right now. And, and it's actually it's having an effect at least on a reduction in consumption. Right. Now what you're saying is we have to wait and see whether that reduction in consumption has a reduction in things like obesity and has a positive impact on health outcomes. And if that's the case, then Mexico will probably change, will lead the way for the rest of the world. Yeah, Because everybody's going to start following suit after that. Well, here's the thing, though. Let's look at, uh, let's look at alcohol, for instance. Um, we've long taxed cigarettes and alcohol in this country to great effect or great revenues, at least. Uh, in 2009, Illinois, the state of Illinois said, uh, all the beer is going to be one cent more per bottle. And each serving of liquor is going to be five cents more, which I don't know what, what that means. Uh, like, like every a, ounce a, and a half? I think an ounce and a half is a serving of liquor. So is that just for a drink you get in a bar? Surely they're not mm-hmm. slapping that on a bottle that you buy. I don't know. Because that'd be a lot of dough. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I, I don't know that either. Well, let's think about it. What's a fifth? A fifth is like um, s- twenty-four a- ounces. Yeah. So that'd be like a dollar twenty extra for a fifth. Is Which that I all mean, it is? Twenty-four can, ounces? I think so. Because it's seven hundred fifty milliliters. A liter is about thirty-two ounces. So three quarters of thirty-two would be twenty-four, right? 
know. I'm pretty sure it is. All right. So 24 ounces. So maybe it wasn't that much then. Um, but what they uh, found out was that deaths, and this is where the, the hinky reporting comes in, um, deaths associated with drunken driving stopped by 25% in the general population and 37% for young people, and also went down for uh, people who drink a lot, supposedly. Yeah, heavy drinkers. Yeah. A population that, that everyone was like, that's the you can text it till the right. cows come home and they're still going to drink. So that was drunk driving accidents. And um, if you're someone like mathematics professor Rebecca Golden, um, you will look at that and say, that doesn't prove anything. That's correlation at best. And you can't prove that that caused the drop in drunken driving accidents. Well, she actually said also that there is a larger trend of um, drinking less. Right. That has nothing to do with that. No, that it had to do with the Great Recession of 2008. That people right. had less money to spend on drinking, yeah. so we're getting drunk less, so we're dying in drunk driving accidents less. Right. She said it didn't have anything to do with this tax. But if you want to support the tax, you can cherry pick a study like this right. and say, well, look, people, because this is the third part of that equation, the public at large benefit, which is fewer drunk driving accidents, um, less domestic abuse, uh, in the case of smoking, less secondhand smoke. Uh, issues, um, that's when people are like, well, wait a minute, I'm the one smoking. Doesn't affect anyone else. Well, yeah, secondhand smoke. Yeah. Or I'm the one drinking. Plus, let me destroy my own body. Everybody likes a pretty smile. <laughs> Not meth mouth. <laughs> <laughs> that's the number one problem with meth. But the, the problem with that, I, I don't know if it's the study or the tax or what, but that Illinois tax on alcohol leading to fewer drunk driving deaths, that doesn't mean that it couldn't work. I think I saw right. somewhere that like 20% is about the minimum that you want to slap a uh, syntax on before it starts to have um, the outcomes that you're looking for. That's just nothing. Half a cent on a beer, no one's even going to notice that, you know? Yeah. Five cents on a shot, no one's going to notice that. It, it, it just couldn't possibly have the kind of outcomes that that study concluded it had, right? Yeah. But that's not to say that it couldn't if the tax were raised. Right. And the thing is, is there's a, there is a sweet spot. There's a window where too low of a tax isn't going to do anything, but too high of a tax can have really negative outcomes too. And we'll talk about those right after this break. All right, so you tease the fact that there is a uh, a point in time when you're raising these taxes to try and get more and more people to say, all right, enough's enough. I'm not paying $5.85 in taxes. Yeah, it's just taxes. On a pack of smokes. Yeah, and that's, I think, how much they pay in New York these days, New York State, if you buy a pack of smokes. Yeah, I'm just... not sure how updated that is, but it's got to be around there. Yeah. Because, I mean, cigarettes are like 12 bucks there. Really? Yeah. They're like $12 a pack. Wow. I know. That's insane. I remember a friend saying, like, I'll never, like, I'll quit smoking once they hit $5 a pack. Did he? 
No. Cause some people say that and they don't. No. Other people do. Yeah. And like, even if it's, uh, 2% of smokers who say that actually do, 2% reduction in, in smoking across the country, that's the size of the United States. That's sure. significant. No, agreed. Uh, but, uh, like I was saying, the, um, there's that breaking point and, uh, Canada saw it for real. Uh, backfire wise in the early nineties, they were, um, increasing the, the taxes on cigarettes. It finally got to a point where it spawned a black market and mm-hmm. all of a sudden people, I think it from in 1987, the black market was 1% of sales and just five years later it jumped up to 31%. Right. And not only are they, is it defeating itself, but they're not, they're not raising, they're getting less money on taxes than they would have if they would have kept it more reasonable. Right. Like, I think Arkansas ran into the exact same problem. They had, um, they upped the tax on cigarettes in 2009. They doubled their tax. Suddenly it was $1.15 a pack, which is enough that they were expecting something like um, $86 million in revenue from tobacco. Yeah, and they had it earmarked for a specific health uh, initiative. Right. Which well, is good, but also sh- bad when you're like, hey, we're going to project this much money for this thing. Yeah, not only did they um, not make the $86 million that they were expecting to, they actually collected $10 million less than they had the year before. Yeah. Sad trombone. Right, right. <laughs> and the reason why is because they jacked the tax up too much and they made it um, in the interest of the smokers to go elsewhere, like just across state lines, to buy their cigarettes, and a black market developed. So there is a window where syntax can work. Right. But you can't go too low and you can't go too high or else it's going to not have the intended effects. Yeah, here's a few stats um, in the United States. Apparently, a couple of years ago, uh, Rhode Island, Nevada, West Virginia, New Hampshire, and Delaware were uh, led the nation in syntaxes. Um, tobacco at 17 billion for the country, alcohol 6 billion, casinos uh, 5.5 billion, uh, Russinos, which I had never heard of. Made sense though. Russian casinos? <laughs> Russian casinos? <laughs> no. Racinos, I guess it would be called because, uh, you know, horse races or dog races. Sure. With a casino. Right. Or like- you're, or you're betting on them, right? Yeah, but it also has a casino attached. Oh, oh, is that what it is? I yeah. gotcha. Like, we know you like to bet on the ponies, but why not throw some blackjack over Great. here? <laughs> Have you ever tried electronic bingo? Uh, and then video gaming, paramutual betting, uh, 700 million. So, uh, the United States brings in a lot of dough from these taxes. And one of the big arguments, um, that you're going to hear politically is that, or I guess not even politically, is that uh, it's a regressive tax, meaning a tax that mm-hmm. uh, infects a proportionally unfair segment of the poor population. Right, which makes total sense because uh, a, a, a sin tax is an excise tax, and an excise tax is a sales tax, and sales taxes almost to a, to a single one affect the poor more than they affect the wealthy. Just because it the, just matters more. It, it yeah, it's they a larger have, share of their income. Exactly. You know, right? Well, we also should point out too: there are taxes like luxury taxes uh, on. It's sort of a syntax for the rich. A luxury tax? Yeah, yeah, because you're like you tax yachts at a higher rate or something like that. Sure, 
Yeah, this is a different type of excise tax. Right. But with the sin tax, you're, especially with, say, like tobacco, uh, studies show that poor people tend to smoke more cigarettes yeah. than the wealthy. So when you have an excise tax, a sin tax on tobacco, yeah, you are definitely instituting a regressive tax because it's being shouldered by uh, the poor disproportionately in that they have less income, yeah. but also because they smoke more. Right. So some people say, ta-da, sin taxes are regressive. Other people would say, well, actually, let's take another look at this. You could say that that's a pro- progressive tax. Right. Because it's having exactly the kind of outcome you want to have by basically making it so that the people who smoke the most can afford it the least. So therefore, people are going to stop smoking as much. Yeah. Now, though, we have traipsed very clearly, and syntaxes are always in this realm anyway, but now we can't avoid it any longer. What you're talking about is the government deciding what what is good for you and what you should or shouldn't do. Yeah. And they're doing it in a sneaky uh, way, like we talked about in the PR episode, the one we released from Chicago. Yeah. Um, that kind of um, paternal liberalism where the government's like, oh, you just listen to us. We're, we'll take care of you. We're not going to tell you what to do. We're just going to make it so that you can't really afford to do what we don't want you to do any longer. Right. But as this article points out, it's sort of a kind of talking out both sides of their mouth because they bring in mm-hmm. uh, the U.S. government brings in ninety six billion dollars. I think that's the, the U.S. and states together. OK, so federally and state wise, ninety six billion dollars from sin taxes each year that they use that money and uh, kind of need it. Yeah, I almost said need, but I didn't. Depend on it. How about that? <laughs> sure. Um, and, you know, they they say, like, we don't want you to do these things. We want you to smoke and drink less. But, well, just not completely, though. Right. Because we so, still want to collect these taxes. Right, exactly. Yeah, so that's why, like, um, I know the U.K. had a big... Uh, a big issue with um, some of their proposed uh, sin taxes on alcohol. They had one that was a sin tax, and they also had a proposal. I'm not sure where this went yet, but um, on minimum alcohol pricing. And uh, they flat out said, um, or you know, most of the public flat out said, like, there's no way you can have that minimum pricing because that is clearly going to affect poor people who mm-hmm. drink drink cheap liquor. Right. And go to the store and get, you know, Mr. Boston vodka. <laughs> yeah. And that Boston vodka isn't cheap anymore because there's a minimum pricing on it. And it's not going to affect the fat cat who wants to go in there and get his, uh, what's a nice vodka? Uh, um, vodka. uh, hold on, uh, Grey Goose. It's not <laughs> bad. Grey Goose? Sure. Belvedere. Exactly. They're not walking in there sweating some minimum price on vodka mm-hmm. or, or probably the tax. Right. Because they want their martini. Right, exactly. No, that's exactly right. So I read this article from, uh, it's called The Wages of Sin Taxes from, uh, the Adam Smith Institute. Oh, wow. Of all places. I'll bet they love capitalism. <laughs> and they said, you know, they come out very, obviously very much on the side of saying sin taxes are ineffective. They don't produce the outcome you want. No. They're regressive. Right. And, um, anyone who's saying anything else is just fooling themselves. What they're doing is trying to collect revenue. <sighs> yeah. 
I, where do you fall on this? I'm very curious. I, I'm not going to weigh in on it. Oh, okay. I'm just staying neutral. I'm saying some people say this, some people say that. Good for you, Jack. Chuck just stays at home. <laughs> yeah? With his Tito's vodka. <laughs> Actually, I don't even drink vodka, but I do have Tito's in the house. Sure. Because, you know, you want to offer it to your friends. It's American. That's right. Sure. Oh, Bloody Mary every now and then. Oh, yeah. Although, you got to drink that with gin or tequila. No. It's so much better than with vodka. Have you tried it? Yeah. And you prefer vodka still, huh? Absolutely. Really? Yep. I'm surprised to hear you say that. Yeah. Tito's? Uh, well, I or Mr. Boston? <laughs> Not Mr. Boston. You make a blend of both. <laughs> Two thirds Tito's, one third Mr. Boston, and then spit. My friend, uh, well, I do have that famous Bloody Mary recipe from years ago. The Caesar. But I've also, uh, been called out for not talking uh, specifically about my redneck crab dip. People are writing in saying, you can't just say that. Oh, they want the recipe? You can't say crack dip and right. not give us a recipe. So are you going to? Well, I don't remember. Like, I don't go, I don't do recipes because I, I like to just cook by the seat of my pants. Mm. But I know it's got the K-Rab chopped up. It's oh, got yeah, yeah. lemon juice. Okay. It's got mayonnaise. Mm-hmm. It's got Worcestershire. Okay. A little salt, pepper, and paprika. Okay. And that may be it. I just don't remember the exact proportions. And you may, you can monkey with it. Sure. Like, I, I like mayo. Yeah, you do. You can go lighter on the mayo if you want. If you want to be a commie. Um, Worcestershire, I don't remember putting a ton in there. Just, yeah. A couple, of, couple of dashes or no, like a teaspoon? Well, I mean, it depends on how much you're making, you know. If you a make tub. A, a big tub for a party, right. you're going to want more than a couple of dashes. Probably like, you know, a quarter cup or something. Oh, well. Um, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, That'll wake you up. And I think that's everything. Just I, I say monkey around with it. Get creative. Sure. And then next week, maybe I'll talk about my Bloody Caesar recipe. I think you should. Which I didn't even know it was called the Bloody Caesar until recently. I, I, again, I think it was the Bars episode. Yeah, because it's we got Clamato instead of tomato. Right. That's the difference, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The clam makes all the difference. <laughs> Do you like red beer or, Jerry, what's that thing called that you had? New York? Michelada? Michelada. Love them. We call them red beer in Yuma. Oh, really? Yeah. That's funny because Yuma's closer to Mexico than New York. It is. You know, you'd think you'd, if anywhere they'd call them a Michelada. In fact, it's so close to Mexico, you can walk there. Oh, is it that I didn't know Yuma was on the border. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's right on the border of Arizona and California and uh, and Mexico. It's like right in that bottom corner. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the worst is um, if you ever order a Michelada somewhere. Mm-hmm. And they don't, they have the gall to not bring you the can of beer as well. Like, oh. we just made you a Michelada, $8, please. And it's what, what, like, it's like there's a of the shot of beer. beer, not even that, because it's still kind of foamy. And they, they, they just try to pretend like they don't owe you that, the rest of that beer that they didn't <laughs> get into the glass at the same time. What kind of w- weirdness yeah. is this? It's not okay. Well, Jerry. So, so hold on, I'm not done. Oh, okay. If you order a Michelada and they don't bring you the can, you tell them to bring you the can. Right. Okay. And then you throw that can back in their face. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little over the top. Yeah, I guess you could, especially if you chug the rest all at once. Yeah. Jerry did not care for her Michelada that he she got not. in New York because it was, um, we saw the, the, the woman make it. It didn't have tomato juice. It was just made with like hot yeah. sauce. It's not supposed to have tomato juice. All right. So Jerry just weighed in. We took the tape off her mouth. <laughs> right. And she said that in Guatemala, uh-huh. they make the Michelada with Clamato. 
Well, that's what they did in Yuma. That was a red beer. It was okay. basically a Bloody Mary with beer. So that is not, that's different from a Michelada in my, in my experience. Okay. At the, um, what's the Triple Crown horse race in Maryland? I don't know. So there's the, uh, the, big there's race. the Kentucky Derby. Preakness? Yes, the Preakness. At the Preakness, they make something like Jerry was just describing, where it's like, um, Bloody Mary with beer. Mm-hmm. They didn't call it a Michelada. What'd they call it? I don't remember what they called it. Heaven? Like, it is good. I'll, I'll give you that. But in my experience, Michelada is lime juice, uh, beer, and hot sauce. Oh, well, that's what she got. And you didn't like it, huh? All right, so Josh just asked Jerry. Uh-huh. She liked it. Right. <laughs> she said it was awful. Right. The proportions were not correct. <laughs> and she... Did we get charged for that? We did get charged for that, even though she didn't drink any of it. So... I'm not going to name the restaurant in New York. You're not going to shame them publicly, huh? No. I will say the lobster tacos were good. I'm sorry. The lobster uh, roll was good. Okay. So well, that, that could be anywhere in New York. That'll be a hint. Was though. there a cronut there as well on the menu? No. That'll be a slight hint. Okay. Slight hint. Yeah. So you narrowed it down to 3,000 places. <laughs> it's in the West Village. <laughs> okay. All right. So that narrows it down. Okay. Uh, so syntax, has you got anything else? Uh no. You said you didn't want to weigh in on it. I understand. I respect that. No, because, you know, to be honest, not only do I not want to weigh in just because I'm trying not to do that, but... um. Oh, really? You turning over a new leaf? No, just for things that I feel really passionately about, I will, but I don't feel super passionately mm-hmm. about this. I'm being torn every which way by this one. Well, that's what my deal is, is I don't, I can't really speak to it because it sometimes it seems like a regressive tax. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it seems like it might work. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it seems like it might not. Right. So I think that's where I lie is ambivalent and confused. Yeah, I'm interested to see how this how this comes out. You know, with um, Berkeley, with Mexico, the Navajo Nation um, instituted a, a they instituted a two percent junk food tax, and then simultaneously repealed a five percent tax on fresh fruit and vegetables in their grocery stores. Oh, really? Yep. So there's a lot of like natural experiments going on right huh. now that I'm very interested to see what the outcomes are. People are going to be studying the heck out of those places. Well, there's a lot of natural experiments going on in my house too, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so if you, uh, if you want to know more about this kind of stuff, go listen to our fat tax episode. We did one on high fructose corn syrup. There's a great article about sin taxes that we used called The Wages of Sin Taxes. It was in the Atlantic by a guy named uh, Van Newkirk. So go read that, too. Brush up on the syntax tip. And since I said brush up, it's time for listener mail. Uh, I'm going to call this Josh's choice. Every once in oh, a while. Oh, boy. All right. Every once in a while, Josh will send an email and saying, hey, I know this is your bag, but would you mind uh, reading this one? And, uh, that is exactly what I wrote. Yeah. So this is uh, from Ada. And I don't remember where Ada is from, but Ada's in high school. Oh, from Canada. Okay. So that immediately means that Ada is probably smarter than we are. <laughs> she, well, I mean, the course she took in high school is pretty impressive. It, it is. I didn't run into those until well into college. All right. Uh, hey, guys. I'm a 17-year-old from Canada, and something caught my attention in your Polar Bears episode when Josh was talking about hunting. Uh, he said that people will say, well, the food you're eating came from the store that was killed unethically uh, as a counter-argument, and Josh found it kind of uh, fallacious, but didn't know how to describe it. Luckily, I'm taking the English class, and we just fin- uh, finished a unit on fallacies, and I can confirm it is fallacious. So it would be qualified as a straw man argument, because... Mm-hmm. 
the counter-argument isn't really arguing against your point that hunting is wrong, but it's arguing a slightly different and weaker point that food bought in grocery stores could be unethically killed, which takes your attention away from the point that you're arguing. Nice. It could also be an ad hominem to quoke. Sure. Is that right? If, if my Latin's not as rusty as I thought. To quoke. Q-U-O-Q-U-E. Quoke. Quoke. Quake. I didn't take Latin. I didn't either. Uh, or U2, uh, Y-O-U-T-O-O, uh, not the band. Right. Um, if you say that hunting is unethical killing and then the person is saying, well, you participate in the unethical killing of animals by grocery shopping, another example of this kind of argument would be one person telling another that they shouldn't smoke, but the person says, well, you smoke. Just because the other person doesn't practice what they preach, it doesn't change the fact that it is wrong. And it's good stuff. The reason that you might not have been able to identify this is because fallacies like this are used so much in media today, and they're not accepted widely as fair arguments, uh, because they're really not. Hope this helped? Yes. Yes, it did. Yes. You were delighted. Uh, Keep calling out these fallacious arguments, and that is from Ada. Thank you, Ada. That was just bravo. Although, I have to say, we did get some some good fallacious arguments in. On the other side, they had nothing to do with what I was saying, necessarily, but they did explain hunting right. a little more, which I thought was pretty great, including one that you read. But we've gotten some other ones since then as well there. I'm just like, wow, I, I want to go hunting. I, like, slap my own face. <laughs> it was funny. I was at the park yesterday with uh, my daughter, and there were these really cool kids, this brother and sister that were probably 10 and 8-ish. And uh, they were kind of hanging out. They had a dog that um, that Ruby was playing with, and they were just being nice. I was talking to them. And then this other kid came up later, and they were talking to these kids, and they were talking about sports. This kid was saying he played baseball, the, the cool kid. Right. Um, I'm not saying the other kid wasn't cool. But. <laughs> and the other kid said, you know, I don't do any sports except for hunting and fishing. And uh, this this other kid looked at him like he was from Mars. <laughs> he was. You could just see the difference in their two upbringings. Yeah. And this kid was just like, what? <laughs> He's like, what do you hunt for? And the kid was like, deer. And he was like, you shoot deer? <laughs> and he was still young enough in, in that, you know, environment that his family is raising him in where he was just like, why would you shoot a deer? Right, yeah. Like, they're awesome. Yeah. And this kid was like, yeah, man. That's pretty cool. It was a, an interesting interaction to watch as an adult. I would have liked to have seen that, yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, when you have that conversation as an adult, it doesn't usually go that way. Yeah, it was, go, uh, it was pretty interesting. Yeah. You learn a lot from listening in on kids' conversations. For sure. Just don't do it in a creepy way. You know, <laughs> you know, they say everything you needed to know you learned in kindergarten. Yeah, I believe it. Uh, Ada, thank you again for that. That was a great email. Thank you, too, Chuck, for the additional anecdote. Sure. Beautiful. Uh, if you want to send in an anecdote or explain something that we uh, put a call out for or whatever, you can tweet to us at Josh Um Clark and SYSK Podcast, two different ones. You can uh, hang out with Charles W. Chuck Bryant on Facebook and or you can go to Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to StuffPodcast at HowStuffWorks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 